This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. If you're just joining us... Oh, thank God. Back to normal. I really hated bringing it in last week. I could tell. You you were pretty vocal about it, so I knew this week I was definitely going to have to bring it in. So, welcome back, everyone. Yeah, which is good because I'm not interested in trying two new things in one week (laughs) because our case this week is strictly Grant. It is. He picked it. He researched it. He did the notes. Everything. I don't even know anything about this case. Yeah, well, I did all the research and I barely know anything about this case, so this should be great oh fantastic <laughs> just kidding i know everything about this case now uh, i think go. honestly i think you're really gonna like this one because it has everything it's a high-speed chase it's apocalypse planning they go out in a wave of gunfire it's really death or glory in all its <laughs> death or glory awesomeness so <laughs> sounds dramatic it is a bit dramatic but i think that's why we're here so <laughs> this case is about a bank robbery that happened in Norco, California in 1980. And like I said earlier, this is aggressive. It's deadly. It was only committed by a group of five guys, which in reality is not that many, but these guys were determined. They were planning for the apocalypse. They thought that this was kind of ending. So they were going big or going home and they did. It's kind of crazy too, that we've never really heard of this and it's near where we live. And the only thing I know of Norco, it's where Tyson used to park his horse and it stinks. This is why I think this is so interesting is because this really did change the landscape of policing in the United States. And it happened so close to where we were from. And yet we never had heard anything of it. So it was 41 years ago. So that might have a, you know something to do with it. But still, like this really did change policing entirely. Yeah. Fun fact, you know, we already talked that it was in Norco, but Norco is in San Bernardino County and San Bernardino County is actually the size of West Virginia. So just to give people a reference, it's a really big area and it goes all the way from here in California and it spreads out all the way down to Arizona and to Nevada. Do you guys touch on it too? San Bernardino County goes all the way to state line. Oh, oh, I get, well, I guess that makes sense. So, yeah. So it's a huge territory. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the biggest county in the country. Oh, well. That would make sense. Yeah. All right. So before we get into actually what happened, let's talk about who these people were. The guy who started it off, the ringleader of it all, was George Smith. And at the time, he was just 27 years old. But he really did believe that the world was ending. And that kind of spurred on because he had joined the military right after high school. And he was sent to Germany. And when he was there, the Cold War was happening. And so he he saw firsthand, you know, these nuclear bombs that were being made and he thought inevitably it this was going to happen so he left the military like a lot of guys do with a really warped mindset of what reality is right the second guy who was kind of the one under george smith was chris harvin and chris harvin was also in the military they hadn't known each other then but they both worked with nuclear weapons so they had kind of seen some similar stuff And he also thought the world was going to end, but he thought it was going to end by a giant earthquake. So two Looney Tunes with different ideas on how the world's going to end, end up together and living together. Oh, great. So this doesn't sound like a recipe for like Kumbaya and campfires in the backyard. This sounds like a cult 
waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, on a much smaller scale. But, you know, these guys obviously had some kind of pull because George worked with a guy named Manny Delgado. And they worked for the city of Cypress, California. They were landscapers. And Manny's brother, Belsario, or Billy, he also worked for the city of Cypress as well. So two brothers already. And Billy was only 17 years old to get mixed up into this. Okay. George thought that they needed at least one more guy to add to the mix. And so Chris Harvin recruited his younger brother, Russell Harvin, to join them as well. And he kind of was like, yeah, let's do it. They had no qualms about any of this. Could you imagine just like being told about a bank robbery and just being like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. And getting five people to sign on to it. Yeah. And none of them be like, you're a kook. I can get five people into a bank robbery, but not for the purpose of preparing for the end of the world. Like, I guess he didn't even have to tell him that he could have just been like, you want some money? Let's go rob this bank. And that's think what I think probably happened is they probably weren't doing the whole end of the world saga with them. But, you know, yeah, it's more about because, money. And the other right. guys were like, OK, you guys are nuts on the end of the world, but we need some money. So this sounds OK. Right. Right. So just so I have this straight, because I want to follow along with this and already it's a little bit confusing. We have two different sets of brothers, the Harvins and the Delgados. And this George Smith nut job? Exactly. So there's five five guys, two sets of brother, and one guy who's acting independently, if you will. All right. So that's where we're at now. Okay, I get it. So that's where we start. Now, in 1980, Gary Hakla was driving around, and he lived in Southern California, and he drove a 1970s van. And this guy, again, it's 1980, but he's still living in the 70s. He's got shag carpet all around. He's got a bench seat that goes all the way around his van. And he even has a closet in the back. And he uses this for his canning business. What the hell is this guy canning? So really good question. And in an interview I listened to with Gary, he actually is canning tomatoes. He has thousands of tomato plants that apparently are doing really well and he's canning them. And he was he says in this interview that on a good week, he could make a million dollars in a week. I can't say for sure that that's that that's real, but that is what he said. That is a quote from Gary. Okay, so he's obviously canning LSD. (laughs) Yeah, something something illicit is definitely being canned with it. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you're not making a million dollars off. (laughs) Selling tomatoes out of your van. Especially in 1980, but that's what he And if says. you are, we're buying a van. <laughs> You're going to start canning right away. Yeah, well, Pa's got the tomato plants. Oh, that's true. And he buries the fish guts, but it's a secret. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> so he's driving around with his canning business going on, and he's like, okay, I've got a piece. So he stopped in just a shopping center off the freeway to use the restroom. And when he got out of the van, he says that, and he quotes by saying three rough looking guys were standing outside of their car looking at him. And he was kind of a ways away. So he parked a little ways, made his distance, but he was about to go inside, but he wanted to lock the back door to his van. He had a chain that he would lock it to. And he said that he was about to do it. And when he turned around, that car with those three guys were on him. They were already right behind him. And the three men got out and they took him inside of his own van. They just grabbed him and pushed him inside the van? Yeah. So what he says is they took him and they got him in the van. And then one of the the kidnappers took nylon rope and they tied his hands and his feet together and they put a sack over his head, obviously, so he couldn't see anything. After they did that, Gary says that he heard two other guys get into the van 
And the kidnappers took just an ordinary pocket knife and they hacked at a small closet that Gary had in the van and they stuffed him in the closet. Gary says that this was a really small space, but you can fit into really small spaces when, you know, things like this are happening to you. So I'm really confused about this van. He's got shag carpeting. He's canning million dollar tomatoes and he has a closet in there. I need to see this van. Like I want like a tour of this van. I wish I had pictures to show you because I would love to see that as well because just the thought of it it is... I know. It sounds crazy. It sounds absolutely astronomical to have this huge van with shag carpet, a bench seat, and a closet. And again, it's not a big closet, but he he was able to fit his way into it. Well, and how lucky are these robbers that Gary and his sick-ass van pulled into the right parking lot when they were waiting to steal a getaway car like that's crazy i know and that was kind of what the what he said too was this wasn't really targeted they weren't following him or anything it's just he was at the wrong place at the wrong time yeah they probably would have taken any big vehicle big enough for however many of them you said there were five yeah absolutely so this is friday may 9th and these kidnappers they drive to the security pacific bank in norco and when they pulled in, there happened to be an employee from a bank across the street who saw it pull into the to the driveway and saw four guys get out. They were dressed in military fatigues and had very large guns with them. And at that time, it was definitely not normal for people to be walking around with large guns. Not that it is today, but it was even less normal then. Yeah, of course. You see a van pull up and four guys jump out in military fatigues with guns guns, running into a bank you're like oh my god this is going to be an ocean's 11 situation (laughs) yeah you don't need to be a bank employee to realize this isn't a good situation yeah that's pretty common sense so the employee calls 911 and luckily there happened to be a riverside county deputy sheriff glenn belaski at the same intersection and he was there for a traffic stop when the call came in and I would, I mean, Ooh, can you imagine? That guy got lucky oh, as shit. Yeah, that guy got out of it for sure. Yeah, he did. So the guys are inside while all of this is happening and they're ordering the people onto the floor and George Smith is standing at the front with a walkie talkie and he's talking to the driver who's, you know, kind of giving him eyes of what's going on. George is keeping a stopwatch of everything that's happening and he's yelling, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, a minute and a half because in his mind, the plan that they, he had developed was they had two minutes to get in and get out and they would have been fine. But okay, that wasn't really the case, especially with a cop who was sitting in the intersection right there. Yeah, it probably didn't take two minutes for him to get from the intersection oh, over yeah, the bank. Exactly. So he comes over and that's when the driver, which is Billy Delgado, he radios to George and goes, we've been spotted. Let's go. Let's go. The robbers exit the bank and... Immediately, they start to fire upon Belaski's police cruiser, and immediately they blew out the windshield, and they forced Belaski to throw his cruiser in reverse and go into the street where he crashed into another car. And while all of this is going on, he's trying to take cover behind his vehicle as well and return fire at them. And he's alone. He's alone at this point. Yeah, because he this is happening. Yeah, because so backup fast. hasn't even got exactly. There. Okay. It's happening yeah. so fast. No, wait, did they shoot anybody inside the bank? No. So in the bank, they threatened everybody. They said if they, you know, sounded any alarms, did anything like this, they would kill them. But no, they did not shoot anyone. They did not do anything. What they did do was they took the the bank manager to the safe and they got 20 grand out of the safe. Ooh, that hardly seems like enough money 
I agree, especially even in 1980. That doesn't sound like a lot of money for what is about to happen. Yeah, it's like, it. did you guys choose the wrong bank? Like, you should have tried to be of A or a Chase or something. They might have had more money. Well, it's a good thing that you brought that up, too. And it was a Friday because George picked that knowing that that was payday for most people. So they the bank would have more money and they still only got away with that little amount of money. Yeah, that just seems not worth it. Right. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to take you back. I just like, I wanted to clear up because I didn't know if anybody got shot in the bank. So everyone in the bank is a okay. Okay. They make their run and they get into the van. And then once all of them were in, that's when they made their attempt to actually flee the scene while still shooting at Deputy Belaski. As the van sped away, Belaski took out his shotgun because he only had a revolver and a shotgun. And he shoots at the van and one of the stray bullets or one of the straight pellets, I should say, hits Billy Delgado right behind his right ear and sent the van crashing into a telephone pole. Wow. Yeah, he was just 17 years old. And he was driving the getaway van? That's kind of my thought, too. Like, if he had a license, he just did not have the the experience to do this. So the four that are left are like, okay, here we go. And when they got out, they fired over 200 rounds at Deputy Belaski's car, and they put 47 bullet holes into his cruiser, and they hit Belaski five times. Once in the face, upper left shoulder, both of his forearms, and the left elbow. So they shot over 200 rounds, and they only hit his car 47 times? Isn't that ridiculous? And two of these guys at least were in the military? Like, you would think that they would have much better shots than they were, but... Well, I mean... He was hit five times. They obviously hit him, but it seems like out of pure luck because it doesn't sound like they were great shots. If you shoot something 200 times and hit it five times, you're not a great shot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not good. Yeah. But it, I mean, and they only even hit his car 47 times. Right. Like, what were they going for? You know, I don't know. That's not great. But luckily, there was enough time in between when the call came in to this point that the backup was on its way and deputies Charles Hill and Andy Delgado, who was no relation to the, to the Delgado brothers had arrived on scene and Andy Delgado, again, the, the officer who's just there, he gets there and he starts engaging with the robbers with gunfire while deputy Hill was evacuating officer Belaski into his cruiser and transported him into a nearby hospital. Okay. While this is all going on, there's still a gunfight going and the robbers are shooting at, Officer Delgado and Delgado is shooting back at them. Now Belaski is not alone because backup arrived, but now Officer Delgado's alone. Because the because backup has to take Belaski took... out. Yeah. Yep. So now he's alone. This sucks. And it does suck. But remember, other officers are starting to arrive on the scene as well. These were just the first ones who came. These were the first two. Yeah. So at this point, more police are coming. These guys have to get out of here again. And so they attempted another escape by commandeering a truck that was parked at the intersection in front of the bank. And at this point, to this point that's happened, it's only been four minutes since the robbers came outside of the bank. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. All of this has happened yeah, in four minutes. Yeah, this does seem like a lot going on. Absolutely. So... As these four guys are leading the police through this pursuit, they're continuing to shoot at the officers who are pursuing them. And they're even throwing homemade bombs at them out of the back of the truck. But they had left some items behind in the van. They left behind most of their guns and ammunition. They left behind all of that $20,000 that they had stolen. Oh, Jesus. And there was one thing less that they had left behind, too. (gasps) Oh, my God. Gary. Yep. 
Gary Hakla was still in the back of his van and he still needed to pee. Oh my God, but he was alive? He was alive. He uh. said that once he heard that the gunfire had stopped, that's when he started to work his way out of that closet and out of the van. And as he was, he said that he saw the driver, Billy Delgado, still in the driver's seat and he wasn't dead until that point. And Gary was really afraid that he might try to grab one of the guns that was nearby and kill him. But sounds like Billy was actually pretty incapacitated from his injuries, even though he had not died yet. Yeah, but he was shot in the head. I mean, yeah, exactly. He, he was, he was going down quick. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad Gary survived because how will we ever know how we're going to make a million dollars canning tomatoes if he didn't survive? I don't know that we ever will learn how to can tomatoes for a million dollars a week, but hey, (laughs) maybe Gary's got some kind of master class he can teach or something. Yep. So the reason why this changed the scope of policing is because of the firefight that ensued with these guys, and it was the guns that these guys had that the police didn't, which really has led to the militarization of the police because these guys came equipped and you can be a lot more helpful than I can. Cause I don't know very much about guns, but they came out with a Colt AR 15. I know that's a big gun, mm-hmm. a five, five, six rifle. I'm pretty sure that's a big one. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. A G three semi-automatic rifle. Again, sounds dangerous. <laughs> well, all guns are dangerous when they're in psychopaths hands. I'll give you that. Yeah. Pump action shotguns. So the police have those instead of they, they have handguns, again, what the police have. So, And then they have homemade IEDs or homemade bombs. So the police are not going to be throwing bombs at them. They also had a katana sword, which for anyone who doesn't know, that's what Leonardo carries in the Ninja Turtles. So it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> these guys <laughs> these guys in total had over nine guns and over 500 rounds of ammunition. And again... The police were only armed with shotguns and revolvers at this time. They didn't have anything else. Hmm. Yeah, that's definitely out outgunned for sure. If all the cops yeah, had was absolutely. a revolver and a shotgun, they're definitely out outgunned. Exactly. And at this point, the only the only kind of weapon that they had that was an automatic weapon was an M16 that the San Bernardino County Sheriff's had in their evidence locker that they had gotten from a big bus that they had done. And they had actually contacted the military and said, hey, we recovered your weapon. Like, you want it? And they were like, nah, it's in, it's damaged or it's not good. You guys can keep it. And the police were like, we don't know what to do with it. So they kept it in their evidence locker, not knowing what else to do with it. Well, good thing they did because an M16 will hold up against an AR-15. They're pretty much the sure. same gun, except an M16 is an automatic. Well, and 16 is bigger than 15, too. So that probably helped. <laughs> Thank you. It's not the way it works, but okay. <laughs> oh, oh, well, again, I don't know much about guns. All right. So at this point, they're fleeing from the bank robbery. They're shooting at cops. What? What? What's happening? So what's happening is these guys went on a 40-mile-long police pursuit all the way into Lytle Creek area of the San Gabriel Mountains. Oh, wow. Yeah. The suspects pulled really far ahead of the pursuing police officers because they were being shot at, so the cops were hanging back. But there was only one police helicopter available at that time. And thankfully, the police were able to pull that out so that the helicopter could fire, could follow the robbers and kind of see where they were going and radio down to police about what was going on. Okay. Except these guys even shot at the helicopter and managed to get one bullet that went up into the helicopter through the control panel. And it didn't crash, but it did cause a fire within the helicopter. And so it did force it to land. Oh, wow. So they legit shot a helicopter out of the sky. Yeah. 
I'm telling you, death or glory was the motto of these guys. They were not going down easy. Yeah. So they continued on their trek through Lytle Creek and they finally got to a washed out pathway and they couldn't get out. They couldn't go any further. So they just had to set up and they did the best that they could to ambush the police as they caught up. And the first police officer that was pursuing them was Deputy James Evans. Again, one of the first ones to come under attack from the ambush and police weren't all on the same like radio channels at this point. So the different departments are radioing each other and they're letting them know that, hey, stand back because word's getting out that the San, San Bernardino County police, they got that M16 out of the out of the locker. Oh, good. Yeah. Deputy DJ McCarty is on his way and he's bringing the M16 to the shootout. Nice. Yeah. Deputy James McFerrin drove the car as they were getting there. And as they pulled up, he saw Deputy Evans, who was still fighting off the robbers and he looked at them and as he did one of the robber shots came in and shot him in the right eye and killed him instantly ah shit they were just too late and he had done such a good job fighting them off but it, it was they were just overpowered he had Damn. he didn't have the right power to fight them back with yeah as we talked about earlier m16s are bigger than ar-15s and so shortly well, they're not after, bigger they're the Mar- same but they're automatic instead of semi-automatic right and 16 is bigger than 15 so <laughs> after De- after deputy mccarty started to engage the robbers with their m16 which he admitted he had no prior training with this weapon he wasn't in the military before i i think at this point he's probably wishing he was and had been around this but he starts firing at these guys and they realize we're overpowered And they stop shooting at the police and they flee the scene and they start running on foot into this wooded area of Lytle Creek in San Bernardino. All four of the guys split up and went in different directions. Why didn't these idiots just fucking do that in the first place? If they were so far ahead of the cops and they shot down the helicopter when they got to this washed out creek, why didn't they just split up and all run in different directions? Why did they wait around and ambush the cops? I think because they thought they had the bigger weapons that they were going to be able to take the cops out. Yeah. I think that that was their mindset. Again, this was a death or glory kind of a thing until they realized, oh, they have big guns too. Yeah. Or, or at least one. At least one, yeah. So they all split off and went in different directions. And the next day, the the manhunt was on for them again, going through this area. And they did find three of the gunmen and were arrested. And the first one was George Smith, the ringleader of the whole thing. And he was found on the ground in one of the areas. And he had been shot twice in the left leg and once in the groin. And he had lost so much blood that he was very, very disoriented. And, you know, police said, how long have you been like in this area? And he said, Oh, I've been here for a couple of days. Like, you know, I've been shot, but they knew it had only been a few hours since this whole thing had happened. So he hadn't been there for a few days. Yeah. Chris Harvin, he was shot once in the back and he and his brother went separate directions, but they did end up finding each other out in the woods overnight. And Russell helped tend to Chris's back and, you know, get him patched up and all that kind of stuff as best as he could with the limited supplies that he had. So they were both alive too then? Yeah, they were both alive. And the fourth member, Manny Delgado, he was still alive too. He was not arrested though because he was shot and killed in a shootout with police. And there's kind of some gray area here because the autopsy says that he was shot at point blank range of the chest and there's been a debate back and forth whether that was a self-inflicted gunshot wound or 
if maybe one of the SWAT team members who found him shot him at point blank range. Why is it even a issue? Who cares? Like which way it happened? Like are people trying to say that the SWAT team murdered him when they found him? Exactly. And that's why it matters because, you know, for a police officer to walk up to somebody and shoot them point blank in the chest, that's an execution. And that cannot happen. Okay. But this guy had guns. Like if an officer did kill him, why wouldn't he just say, oh, he tried to shoot at us. These guys have been shooting at him for three days. Why would the officer say it was a suicide if it wasn't a suicide? Like if they had shot him, just say, say they had executed him, like the theory says, why wouldn't they just say, oh, he was shooting at us, so we shot back and killed him? I think more it's, you know, family or others who are saying, you know, he wouldn't have killed himself, but he was shot at point blank range. And honestly, at that point, with what's going through anyone's head, who knows what anyone would do at that at that yeah. point? How can you in your right mind say, oh, he wouldn't have killed himself? It's like, well, I'm sure yesterday you were probably saying that he wouldn't shoot at the police and he wouldn't rob a bank yeah. <laughs> and he wouldn't take a 17 year old brother on a fucking heist. Yeah, no kidding. That's the other thing I can't stop thinking about. But guess what? Today he did. (laughs) He recruited a 17-year-old brother. Like, hey, man, you want to go do this, like, totally gnarly thing? Like, what? Yeah. What kind of person, let alone brother, is that? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, these guys are out of their minds. So who who knows what happened in that forest? But I guess I get what you're saying. Some people, mostly their family, think that the cops killed them. But it's like... They were shooting at the cops. And they were shooting at helicopters and like, all sorts they could have of... They were shot shooting everything. All day yesterday while they were running from the cops. Totally. Totally true. By the time all of this was, was over, two suspects would be dead. One officer was killed. Eight officers and two bystanders were wounded. Two suspects were wounded. And at least 30 police vehicles were damaged. And that helicopter was forced to land due to the damage from the gunfire. Jeez. That's quite a spectacle. One for $20,000 and two for leaving the $20,000 in the van. I know. I know. All of that to leave the, the money in the van. Like, what was the whole point of the, all of this anyway? Didn't you have pockets? Didn't you have anything you could put it in? You left behind every single dollar. Yeah. For what? Like, you didn't get death or glory at this point. You just sucked. I feel like these guys just wanted to do a heist. Like, I really don't even think they cared what happened or... If it worked. I've never heard them say that, but I mean, with what's happened, it does sound exactly like that. Like they just wanted to go out. They wanted to do something and make themselves sound more meaningful than, you know, they probably had been up until that point. Yeah. So what happened to all the rest of the officers that were in the shootouts? Did everybody survive then? Yeah. All the other officers survived. Remember we had Glenn Belaski who he was shot again, five times in the face, once in the upper left shoulder, both forearms and in the left elbow. Deputy Daryl Reed was hit once in the back of his left knee and Riverside County Sheriff Deputy Rolf Parks was hit three times, once in the head, face, and arm. Wow, and he survived too, even being shot in the head? Yeah, even with all of that, he survived too. Wow. Deputy Herman McDaniel was shot once in the right shoulder. Deputy Tony Raynard was hit once in the left elbow. And CHP Officer Bill Crow was hit once in the right arm as well. And then obviously DJ McCarty, he was hit once too while he was returning fire to the gunman and he was shot once in his right arm. Obviously Jim Evans had died yeah. to his injuries in the eye. And there was one civilian who was shot and it was a 12-year-old boy named Robert Olgsby. 
and he was on a bike ride with some of his friends and he was hit by one bullet and it hit him in the finger so oh man that kid's got a cool story to tell at parties doesn't he he has such a cool story to tell now and that's a story you get to tell for the rest of your life yeah well i guess he's not a kid anymore he's obviously a man now but yeah exactly he's got some cool party stories yeah and deputy belaski he even recovered from all of his wounds and you know he was awarded several different decorations for his actions and he eventually left the police force and he joined the u.s air force and he actually went all the way to the rank of lieutenant colonel and worked in their electronic welfare department and he was probably like i want nothing to do with any of this again put me behind a desk yeah i'm sure they didn't all hang around right yeah most of these officers were actually diagnosed with ptsd and they ended up leaving the department shortly after all of this happened which i don't think anyone can actually blame them for that because there was so much that happened to them in yeah. such a short amount of time yeah and they were just screwed they had one gun so a lot of them did have shotguns and their pistols that they kept on them but that's no match for this no. kind of firepower. They were so overmatched that there was nothing that they could do. So, yeah, I'm sure after that. Yeah, they felt vulnerable. And and I did hear in some reports police in the San Bernardino County area did carry around heavier weapons on their own, even though the, poli- the police chief at the time told them don't. They did anyway because they were trying to protect themselves. Well, I'm sure they were scared shitless. Yeah, Absolutely. So after all three were arrested, George Smith and both Chris and Russell Harvin were convicted of 46 different felonies, and they were each sentenced to life in prison without parole. Good. I mean, yeah, what else is going to happen? You know, like you can't do that kind of stuff and expect to not have the book be thrown at you, especially in 1980. Yeah. Very lawless land. I can't believe they didn't get the death penalty. Oh, yeah. No, the death penalty was back. Was it in California? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did that come back around 1977? 77 or 78, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it is kind of amazing that they didn't get the death penalty considering they killed a cop. You know, that is not, that's a big no-no in any time period, but especially in the 80s. Well, and all the damage they caused and the hysteria in the community, I'm sure it was. and, And not just to the police, but to the people in the bank, you know? I mean, yeah, they had their lives flash before their eyes and wondered are my kids going to grow up without me? Like what a scary situation to be in. Oh yeah. But totally even now over 40 years later after this bank robbery shootout, everything that had happened, it still remains one of the biggest and most dangerous police encounters ever to have happened here in the United States. And like I said, in the beginning, this really did change police procedures and was one of the reasons why police have kind of, move toward those more modern militarized weapons and tactics because they don't want to be overtaken by something like this again. Yeah. You know what I wonder too, why they didn't contact, there's an air force base out there. Why didn't they just contact March air force base and ask them for M 16s? I guess it all happened so fast. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think that was probably a a big reason of it. This was happening so, so quickly that, who did they have time to call, you know? And right. they'd already tried to return their M16 to the to the military. They didn't want it. So, yeah. you know, they probably weren't just, hey, we're renting out our stuff here. So Yeah. yeah. They could have called Dave. Does he have an M16 at home? Well, no, but he's got AR15s and a bunch of other guns <laughs> that were more than revolvers and shotguns. Norco's not that far from Orange County. He could have driven them out That's there. That's true. Did he have them in 1980? I don't know. I wasn't alive. Me either. He's had guns my whole life, but... 
I wasn't born well, until the late 80s, so I don't know. I'll ask him. Yeah. Well, I think we should. Maybe he was a part of this. Maybe he's who they got the M16 or the rifles from. Probably not. <laughs> so what happened to these guys? Are they still in prison? Don't tell me they got parole. Oh, no, you said they got life without parole. They did get life without parole, but I couldn't find a whole lot of stuff on them about where they are and what they're up to. So I assume that they're probably still in prison. I haven't. Oh, I didn't see anything that they had died or anything like that, but I'm not you. And I have a feeling that telling you that now, you're probably already on the case and looking up what where they are. Hold on. I'll find it. Okay, so... Get on your Google search. Well, it's a little more than Google, but... Okay, so George Smith is 69 years old now, and according to the CDCR website, he's incarcerated at the Substance Abuse Treatment Facility in Corcoran State Prison. Awesome. Oh. So he's still alive. There you go. And in prison. And... All right. All right. Okay, so Christopher Harvin is 70 years old, and according to the CDCR website, he is at California Medical Facility in Vacaville. Oh. But it's, it says incarcerated, so I'm assuming that's probably the hospital inside the prison. What about Russell Harvin? Can you find anything about him? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm looking. Is it two S's? Uh, yeah, it is two S's. Sorry. I- okay, Russell I don't know. There's nothing about him on the CDCR website. Mm. I don't know. We'll, well we'll we'll Google it and we'll update everybody after if we can find it. I'm sure he's also in prison, or maybe he died. I I definitely think he may have died in prison, which is probably why we can't find anything. Because yeah, if it was be. prior to the internet, you know, obviously everything is up on the internet now. But you know, maybe something like that just was swept under the rug. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, well, that was a pretty bananas case, dude. I told you it's it's gnarly that that this kind of stuff happened and happened pretty close to us and we had never heard about it before. But also it really did change the way police did things. And the reason I thought this was interesting is because now in today's society, we're talking about the way police are doing something. So, you know, it kind of started here for a good reason. Yeah. So it's nice to know the backstory and the history of how this all got started. And this was this was why it all got started. And yeah, kind of, you know, if the bad guys have them, the cops have to have them. That's the thinking. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. Was it a better story than you thought it was going to be? It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Actually, I was really not interested in the story at all. (laughs) (laughs) Bank robberies just sound so boring to me. I've never even watched Ocean's Eleven. Well, you should because they are interesting and exciting. But yeah, I'm just like they've never been like, eh. but this one was kind of bananas. So anyway, yeah. I thought that was a really interesting case. And, you know, even though you wanted nothing to do with it, I'm glad I'm glad you let me do it. Yeah. Glad I could keep you entertained. <laughs> All right. So is that everything about this case that you want to talk about? That's everything for the case. But there is one thing I want to mention for the first five people who go on to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us and leave their Instagram handle in the review or take a screenshot and send it to us in an email we will send you a From Crime to Crime shirt for doing that because these things matter way more than they should. Yeah, I never realized how much ratings mattered until we started a podcast. Now I'm going back to all the podcasts that I've listened to forever and I'm rating them and reviewing them. And no, oh, you're a much better listener than I am. But no one offered me a shirt to do it, so I'd do it for a shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and part of the reason why we say on Apple is because we're pretty sure you can't leave a review or rating on Spotify. So if you can take a screenshot and send it to us too, because we didn't know that, but 
Yeah. Let us know. We're we're new to this technology world. Yeah. That's why we need the Instagram handles or a screenshot because we won't even know how to contact you if you don't need that. <laughs> because you, could you leave just your has mailing a stupid... address. No, they can't leave their address in a comment or a review. But that was the joke. Oh, I get it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but it just has like a nickname, you know, at the bottom of the thing. Like I don't even know what mine comes up as. I think you can make your own, can't you? I don't know. I don't know where you choose it. I don't know it. either. Well, because we don't rate and review enough because no one's ever offered a shirt. So here's your chance, everybody. If you've been waiting to rate and review, now is the time. But only the first five. Everybody else, you rate and review, we'll send you an electronic hug. <laughs> I'm glad you like that one. You got anything else? No, I'm going to go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so I can get my shirt. <laughs> well, you have all the shirts, so you can send yourself one. Oh, perfect. Save on shipping, too. Bingo. In state. Yep. So, all right, bud. Well, we got to get going because it's getting late, and Matt and Christine are going to get real angry with us. Oh, yeah, and I'm very hot in this room. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. I love you. I love you, too. Thanks for telling me your fun story. You're welcome. I'll call you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.